we've been talking about marriage uh, and being one flesh. And so uh, today I want to just change approaches this morning as we talk about marriage. I want to talk to the single people. And um, I remember reading not too long ago that if, if marriage is the promised land, then what's the wilderness look like, you know? What's the wilderness look like? So many things to learn. And so today, um, I want to just dive into the Word of God. Will you pray with me that God would just open our hearts, open our minds, and see what He has for us today? Father in heaven, have I told you lately, God, that we need you? How much we need you, how bad we need you, God, how often we need you. It's not just the moments, God, of trials and tribulation. God, we need you to help us to maintain, Father, even when we're doing the right things. So I pray today, Lord, that as we dig into your word, would you open it up, Lord, help us to, to walk, God, the path, Father, that you have desired us to walk and that you've designed for us to walk. What my heart, God, is, is that I remember, Father, what I was like when I was single and the difficulties. I'm so thankful, Father, for the promised land of marriage. But I pray, God, your, your word, God, will, will help us traverse some difficult things. Sometimes in our life, like the times that were in Israel's life, they thought they were just going to give up and they couldn't go any further. And yet, God, you had provision around every single corner. I pray, God, you remind us and show us that today. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. We pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. How many of y'all have made it to the promised land called marriage? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> let, me, let me back that up real fast. I think your spouse was watching. Let's try it again. How many of y'all have made it into the promised land of marriage? Okay. <laughs> Listen, all these single people are like, I'm not getting married. That's not it. <laughs> if they're not excited, why would I be excited? Um, you know, maybe marriage to you today is a distant future for you, or maybe you dream of it often, or maybe you're someone who's willing to say, maybe I'll try again someday. Uh, but regardless of your status in life, uh, I hope that you make it to a place called marriage. Uh, I hope you make it to what they call the promised land. Um, it's not exactly what you think when you get there. It's a bit more work than you realize. And to some of you, you may say, Pastor Scott, I wouldn't call it the promised land. I might call it the problem land, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it the promised land. And so today, I want to talk to you about how to venture to this place. Because it's not easy. Singlehood and singleness is not easy as we walk through it. And so uh, maybe if you're married today, uh, maybe you can take some notes for your kids, for your neighbor or for your, uh, your ex, I'm not sure, however it applies to you. Um, I want to talk to you today about how to navigate the wilderness when marriage is the promised land. How is the marriage the promised land? Do, do explain to me, Pastor Scott, how do you see marriage as the promised land? Let me give you three reasons why I feel like the marriage is the promised land. I'll give you some scripture. Well, when we talk about the promised land, Exodus 3.8 says that the land flowing with milk and honey is what we use to describe the promised land. That is simply this, that it is a land that longs to give. Marriage should be. Let me just say this. I'm not talking about your marriage. I'm talking about God's design for marriage. So if you're still working on the alignment process, 
don't ridicule my definition. I'm just talking about from his perspective. We're going to work on that. We've been talking about how to get people into alignment with what God's design for marriage is. But God's design for marriage is that a marriage is much like this land called the promised land and that it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that longs to give. It's a land that doesn't reward you as a receiver. It's a land that rewards you as a giver. Y'all got to work in marriage. Amen. You got to give in marriage. But can I tell you that one of the rewards in marriage is the work that you do. You see, there are two types of work. There's two types of gardens that you can sow. You can try to grow a garden in a rocky soil. That ain't going to work for you. Or you can grow it in a real nice soil, and that's a lot easier. You still got to eat at the end of the day. That's what it comes down to. But the thing is, is how hard are you working? And if you walk into a marriage that God has asked you to walk into, you'll realize and appreciate that work that, that is right work, that's in good soil work, the blessing is the work because I don't have to work as hard. How many of you guys own an automatic robot that sucks up the dirt in your house? That's good work right there. That's good work. You can walk over and press the button, and when it gets done, you're like, I did a good job today, right? <laughs> That's good work. That's the kind of work I'm talking about. The second thing is simply this, is that it's a land where you eat bread without scarcity. Deuteronomy 8, 9 says that. And so what we're seeing is, is this, that God's design for marriage is that marriage is like a promised land in that it is a land of abundance and not a place of scarcity. The abundance provides emotional stability. You do need that in life. And, and, um, and it supplies de dependability in your life. Simply put, you don't have to worry about earning or proving yourself worthy enough to be loved and accepted. And that is a blessing like no other. To know you can wake up today and your spouse, regardless of what she looks like or what he smells like, will still love you and accept you anyway is a great thing to know. I pray that that is in your marriage. And if not, take more notes. Number three is this is a land where you will drink Rain from the heavens. Deuteronomy 11, 11 says this. Let's be honest. Everybody in this room is thirsty or has been thirsty. Amen? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And, and, and this is what the Lord is saying. It says marriage is like drinking rain from the heavens. Rain from the heavens. When rain comes down from the heavens, it's always pure. It's always cool. It's always satisfying every time. And the only thing that rain requires of you is to be in the right place at the right time. Can I tell you, hear me, if you're single today, marriage is being in the right place in life at the right time in life. Let me say that again. Marriage is about being the right place in life. You can't be in the right place until you're the right person. And then when you're in the right place in life and the right time in life, when God decides to bring somebody along next to you, that's when marriage begins. And so if you're looking for marriage, focus on being the right person in the right place at the right time. Lord, do the rest of that, and you'll receive that heavenly rain. But as we walk through the wilderness, let me give you three things today I want to talk about uh, on how to navigate the wilderness. And these wisdoms are simply this. Number one, you should know that bitter waters don't quench dry mouths. Bitter waters don't quench dry mouths. Second thing is this, people who share a common purpose share common paths. And number three is what gets idolized gets paralyzed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I don't know a more difficult time in my life, God, than when I was single. 
I know, God, this is a, uh, it is a wilderness. It's a wilderness, Father, that we walk through. At times, it is absolute pure delight to see you provide and do for us like nobody else can. But, God, it's also a time, God, of difficulty and hardship and dependence and faith and trying and testing and all those things are there. But, Lord, I know you do that to refine us so that when we walk into the promised land, we don't walk in with slave mentalities. We walk in as children of the king. I pray, Father, that for whoever is in here today or whoever is listening online, God, if they're single and they're walking through this wilderness, God, contemplating whether or not they want to walk into this promised land we call marriage, I pray today, God, you would equip them, make them ready and confident, God, to be able to navigate these difficulties that the world throws and then we ourselves, God, introduce into our life. I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Read with me, Exodus 15, 22 through 25. Then Moses uh, made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When was the last time you went out with three days without water? When they came to Marah, 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 they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, its name was Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw in the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Now notice as God just has done he, the miraculous, right? It's the ten plagues. It's the Red Sea. And now they've been walking, and God's been faithful uh, to, to um, lead them. He, he crushed their army. He, he drowned their army. And, and here they are on this way, on this journey for three days and no water. You know how it is. Who cares if God just provided yesterday or three days ago? My question is, is he going to provide today, right? Because we are a, a needy people always wanting, is God a God of today or is he God of just yesterday? And do you know when they were walking for three days that they were thirsty? How thirsty do you get? If I go a whole day without water, matter of fact, I feel like I could use some water right now. I can't imagine going three days and not being able to drink. Scientists say that dehydration uh, doesn't just make you thirsty, but when you get severely dehydrated, it impairs the, 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 brain, or the blood flow to the brain, and therefore you can't think properly. You lose some cognitive ability, some de decision-making ability. And then what happens is, is your brain actually goes in to logically trying to figure out how to self-preserve. That's why a common tactic when someone's lost in the, in the desert for a long period of time is for them to drink their urine. Now, I don't know about you, but that's never a thought in my head ever. I don't ever wake up at some point in time thinking, I don't see no um, uh, water anywhere. Let me go find a cup to recycle. No, we ain't doing that. Brain, my brain will never think that way. But dehydration, when you go so long without water, your body starts looking at the, the normal things and say, you know what, that's not even a possibility no more. Let me start thinking about self-preservation. And then our mind starts doing things, trying to do what it can to preserve itself. Can I tell you that sometimes as we're walking in life, we get so thirsty that we start making decisions that we would never make when we were drinking. I'm still talking about relationships in case you were, you were asking about it. That we start making decisions we would never make before. But because we're so thirsty, we're so needy, we're looking for anything we can just throw. 
Even if people stepped in some water with their nasty feet, we'd still just toss it back, right? We need something to hydrate ourselves. But can I tell you this morning, bitter waters don't don't quench dry mouths. Bitter waters don't quench dry mouths. Not, not just any relationship will do. Not just any guy will do. Not just any girl will do. Not just any person who will tell you that you're beautiful or you're handsome or you're sexy or you're somebody or your mind will do. Just because they look like they fit the part doesn't mean that they'll fill the part. But when you're thirsty, you just about take anything. I want you to understand where Israel was in their life. They had been walking for three days down the coast of the Sinai Peninsula. They weren't just thirsty. They constantly smelled the salt water not too far off. Three days of walking, and there is a massive body of water just right over the hill that they could go in and drink at any time. They just knew this, that water wasn't for them. Do you know what it's like to be single when everyone else around you is drinking and you ain't? Huh? Anybody third wheels before? Have you ever been on a third wheel date before? And they're all like, oh, baby, this is And they're all together, they're talking, and, and you're just over there just trying to eat your pasta. You know what I mean? You don't, you're like, can I get a drink, please? <laughs> and it's like, Lord, what, what, what's, what's going on? Is there something wrong with me? Because I know these people. I don't know how they found each other, but they found each other. And I'm over here thirsting. I'm desiring, Lord. And I'm reading my devotion at night. I'm praying. I'm worshiping. And I'm sacrificing lambs. I'm doing everything you asked me to do. And these two people over here are killing me. <laughs> it's hard not to be thirsty when everything around you is water. It's just not the water that you can have. And then they travel a little further down. The first body of water they come to is, that's found on the inland is Mara. It's the first thing that actually relates to them. Now, here's the thing. They're on their journey that the Lord is leading them to, right? And then out of nowhere, as they've been traveling for three days, here comes a body of water that is relevant, that is on their journey and is applicable to what their need is. And surely this is the one. This is the one the Lord has brought me. I wasn't off course, God. I was doing what you called me to do, and you brought me to the place called bitter water, Lord. I don't know why this person's in my life, but how is it that they're bitter, Lord? I I came to get something to drink. And can I tell you that there's a desire sometimes to embrace the people that come down through our life on our journey and just receive them as a relationship because we thought they were on the journey, but it doesn't mean that they were supposed to be there or were supposed to partake of it. Do you know that if you're thirsty and you drink bitter water, it'll make you more dehydrated? Because, see, the problem is, is your body understands something. Your body understands it doesn't just need something that's available. It needs something that's beneficial. And that's what we have, that's what we go through. You guys are quiet this morning. That's good. I know you're listening. I'm, t- I'm coming after you this morning. Listen, if there's anything I-, I love to talk about more, it's relationships. Because I would rather talk to you now sternly than try to fix marriages later on in your life. This, this is the time to listen and pay attention and hear the word of God and apply it to your life. Because they say a pound of cure is worth what? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I think that's what they say, right? We're going to go with that. 
Our body knows the difference between beneficial and available. But our desires do not. We got to pay attention to what we really need. And sometimes every person that comes along your way does not mean, just because you are following God's path does not mean that God has brought that person into your life. There is some discernment that you need. Here's two things you need to know. Because the question I would have is, Lord, if I'm not supposed to drink here, then why in the world am I here? (laughs) What have you brought me here to do other than be tortured? And there's two things you need to know about your journey. And the first off is this, single person. Not every stop is a destination. And not every relationship comes with a future. You need to know that. You need to know that. I didn't say the stop was wrong. I said it's not a destination. I didn't say the relationship was wrong. I, didn't, I just said it may not have a future for you. You say, what, what, what does that mean, Pastor Scott? How, how in the world, how in the world do, you, do you do that? See, here's the thing. Is that the Lord used this stop to answer a need because they were obedient. You need discernment from the Lord to decide whether this stop that you're on called a relationship is, is where you love something or learn something. See, see we, we, we get it so messed up nowadays because every relationship we get into is automatically a marriage. It's, auto, it's just an automatic. If I love you more than a normal person, all of a sudden I'm thinking about marriage. No, you're not. No, you're not. And I'll tell you the reason why you're not is because you've not learned enough yet. You, you don't know how to love until you've learned. And so the problem is we get into it, and it's easy to love because our feelings motivate us. But our discipline and our experience and our maturity speaks to our learning. And if we don't have those things, we're not learning. We're just loving. But you keep on loving enough, you're going to learn anyway. I'm just trying to help you not do that. And so you need to ask yourself, a single person, is this stop a place that you learn or a place that you love? One is a destination, and the other is an appointment. The second is this, that disappointments can be the last stop before his appointments. Let me say that again. Disappointments can be the last stop before his appointments. Many times we give up so fast in life. We're, we're rushing through, we're rushing in, and we're trying to get to the end of the race because we're, we're dying of thirst. And we, we find something, we think, oh, you know, we're just going to go with what we got right here in front of us. And that's not always going to help you. Can I tell you, practice the art of delayed gratification. I don't even know if that's a word anymore. I don't even know if it's a concept anymore. But delayed gratification is something you need to exercise. Let me show you why. Exodus 15 verse 27 says this. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamped there by the water. Now, I don't know if you can see this graphic. It was smaller than I realized. But so here's where you see in the middle of this radius right here, that's Mara. That's the place they stopped at. And Elam's right here. It's 4.13 miles away. Three days of traveling. Most scholars say they travel for 100 miles. As they travel for 100 miles and they end their destination, they stop right there at Mara. But if they went 104 miles, 104.13 miles, they would have reached the place that met everything that they needed. Here's what I'm seeing is that I just did some math. And and if they're traveling 100 miles in three days, that's 33.5. 
three miles a day, if they're traveling around 10 hours a day, which is recommended, uh, that means that they were traveling 3.3 miles an hour, which means that in less than 90 minutes, they'd have been at the place that they were longing for. How, how many times have you fell 90 minutes short of what you needed? 90 minutes. You've been traveling for three days. I guarantee you got 90 minutes in you. I guarantee it. Especially if you know that there is a spring for every tribe and 70 palm. They weren't, see, they were just drinking water at Mara. It, there was no cover. There was no shade. It was sweet water because the Lord intervened. But if they went 90 more minutes, they'd have had cold clean spring water that provided real hydration hydration with real shade. I want you to lean over to your neighbor this morning and say, wait for it. Wait for it. You better wait for it. You contemplate. You don't know. Listen. Teenagers, single folks alike, you know when your friend's not waiting for it. Snatched him by the neck and said, Pastor Scott told you to wait for it. <laughs> because if we don't wait for it, then we run to the second problem that we need to address. And that's simply this, is that people who share common purpose share common paths. Look at Numbers 11, 4 through 6. Now the rabble, and I want to just highlight that word in your, your Bible right there. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember, remember the, the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, the whips, the chains. The, oh, no, they didn't say all that. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but all this manna. The very thing we pray God to give us is in abundance. All we have is what the Lord has given us and it's too much. Boy, the rabble. Who were the rabble? The rabble is what most scholars believe to be slaves that were there in Egypt with them. They may have been Egyptian slaves or other ethnicities and other um, uh, nationalities, but they were believed to be slaves. And, and what we understand about slaves is that slaves have no fathers. They just have masters. And with that comes a problem. But the question I, we need to ask ourselves are, are the rabble, are the rabble, in our life that, we're, that are traveling with us? Do you have a rabble in your life? See, what is rabble, Pastor Scott? Rabble are the people that remind you of your old lives. They remind you of what it used to be, right? They remind us of the experiences that we, we once had, the acceptance we once shared, and the life we once lived. The problem is that rabble are slaves. And you know what slaves do? Slaves crave. Slaves crave. What did they crave? The NLT says it best. Numbers 11.4 says this. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. Ain't that something? They began to crave the good things of Egypt, but they forgot the price of Egypt. And, th and that's the thing, right, is you guys know growing up, there were so many friends in our lives that, that are the rabble. They remind us of all the good stuff. You may even be traveling with them now, married or not married, but the rabble in our lives are the people who remind us of what it used to be, how fun it used to be, but they're not reminding you of the cost that it, it has to, to be able to uh, experience those wonderful things, the good things of Egypt. And so, and so we're seeing here that they have an impact. 
And their impact is this. Look at verse 4 again. And the people of Israel also wept again. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Oh, there's socialism right there. Oh, yeah. It costs nothing. I want to bring your attention, single person, to how the rabble impacts your life. Because Scripture says Israel also wept again. You need to know that the rabble in your life want you to want what they want so, that, so you don't validate who they are. Can I say that one more time slower? The rabble in your life want you to want what they want so you'll validate who they are. Who are they? Well, see, the fact is they're a slave. But more importantly, they're not you because you're a child of the king. They want you to embrace a slave identity so that way you won't embrace the kingdom identity. Because if you're a child of the king and you act like your father, you bring conviction on their life. They don't need you acting in a way that makes them feel like they're less than. So what they want you to do is to act like a slave just like them. The problem is simply this, is that if you're going to the promised land, slaves don't get to inherit the promised land. The children of God do. And so these rabble, they have masters. You and I, we have fathers. And so they don't want you to want what they want. They just want you to be what they can't be. So who in your life, single person, doesn't want you to be who God's called you to be? They want you to want what they want, and you'll deny your identity and deny what God has for you. So why does the, the traveling rebel matter? Why does it matter? Look at Numbers 11, 33 to 34. Why, why does it matter if uh, rabble is traveling with us? It says here that while the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called uh, that word because they were, <laughs> because there they buried the people who had the craving. Notice who died? Those who had the craving. What was the identity? Those who had the craving. It wasn't Israelites, it wasn't rabble. It was all those who had the craving. Can I tell you that the rabble used Israel to make their plea, but in doing that, they shared a common purpose with them. And whoever you share a common purpose with, you'll share common paths. Look in your life and ask yourself, who is sharing your common purpose? Because you will share common paths. That's a good thing and a bad thing. Not necessarily always a bad thing. But don't think for a second. You can date a slave and marry a son. It ain't going to happen. Don't think for a second you can date worldly desires and marry godly devotion. Don't be so naive. Don't be so foolish to think that when I get married, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good father. No, you won't. Unless God reforms you and redeems you and changes you. You do not get to make that decision. Who you are outside that marriage is who you will be going into that marriage. He said, Pastor Scott, that's, that's pretty strong. But listen, it's important for you to know. Marriage means maturity. <laughs> marriage means you got to grow up. Marriage means that you need to have some convictions and some standards. And those things don't come when you say, I do. You, you're not just a responsible adult because you said, I do. Hear me, if you act like a rabble, you'll most likely marry a rabble. 
And if you act like a slave to your cravings, you'll probably marry a slave to your cravings. And if you do, you, can, you can't get angry over the fact that they only are loyal to their desires and not loyal to you because that's what slaves do. And they may not want to support your convictions or be loyal to you uh, or help you raise the kids the way that you would raise kids because those convictions that you probably have now come from a father, but they're still a slave. And, and the only thing they have is a master. And masters don't disciple, they demand. And so don't be upset when your husband or your wife doesn't support how you raise kids and they're demanding your kids to do things and not discipling your kids to do things because they're still living under the master-based concept and not a father-based concept. Do you hear me this morning? I need you to make sure you know this stuff because I'm talking about your future. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about days and nights that you spend crying your, your, your bed full of tears because you married a rabble and you yourself are a rabble. When it all could have been prevented if you understand what it takes to walk through the wilderness. Your spouse's failures and your children's disobedience will only be a reflection of your own. Pay attention. Now, can God save you from the effects of rabble in your marriage? Absolutely. He can do anything. We just sang that. But hear me. If you marry a rabble, you go into the marriage as a rabble. The Lord used the wilderness to refine his people. And the same wilderness he uses to remove the rabble will be the same wilderness he uses to refine the rabble. It will not be a quick and easy fix. In the wilderness, expect disappointment. Expect hardship. We persevere with faith. We persevere with obedience. But people who share common purpose share common paths. Here's what you should do. Look for those who share a purpose in seeking to honor God, and you'll find someone who shares a path God can honor. That's what we need to do. And the last thing I'll talk about this morning is, is simply this. What gets idolized gets paralyzed as the worship team comes back. What gets idolized gets paralyzed. Relationships are one of the most difficult things for us to, to steward well because relationships are so easily translatable in terms of uh, meeting our needs. And we take God out of the picture really quick. It's difficult to really keep God as a priority in our life. And so what happens is, is we begin to elevate the things in the relationship that ought not be elevated. We see the same thing in Exodus 32, the story of the golden calf. Uh, the Lord has done a lot of mighty things, and, and Israel has finally come to the place of Mount Sinai where they have been destined to arrive. And here they need a place that they can worship God and honor God, and they are about to do those things, but they get impatient. And so they, they construct a golden calf. And this calf was, was birthed out of their need to create an image of God, which paralyzed their view of God. And so this is what happens in our relationships sometimes. We, we lift up things up so high and depend on them so much that we idolize them. And when we idolize those things, now we've paralyzed their very true function. Let me show you an example of this. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 says this. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. Isn't that nice to have a God that you need to have pick up and put back in his place? 
But when they arose early in the next morning, on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold and only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon on all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. Why do they not tread on the threshold? Because threshold is the place that you put your foot, and that's the place that you have authority. They didn't want to have authority over their God, so they stepped over it. Some things that you should understand. The house of Dagon was a trophy room for the Philistines. They put all of the gods that they conquered in this trophy room next to their God, who triumphed over all of these gods. So they put the Ark of the Covenant beside Dagon on face one. Dagon fell down and worshiping God. <laughs> they stick him back up and put him back in his rightful place. And the next thing he does is he cuts his hands and his feet off and lays them on the threshold. What does this mean? What is God telling us about the things that we're idolizing, that we're placing before him? God is not telling us he's going to destroy anything that we worship. No, he's not trying to deal with that. He was showing us by communicating these Philistines that whatever you worship him for, whatever you think he can do for you, I'm going to destroy the perception of what you think he is in your life. I'm going to remove what you think he can provide from you. I'm going to destroy that perspective. Whatever you've exalted, I'm going to, to tear down. And it's the same in our relationships. Whatever reason we run to the relationship, whatever we lift up and say, this relationship makes me feel this or does this or accomplishes this purpose, this function, the Lord says, no, 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 no. You have to understand that relationships are really just an overflow of you and me. We talked about this about a month ago or so, that how, how our devotion with God overflows into our devotion with our marriage. Anytime we lift up, whether it be in a marriage or whether it be in a dating relationship, things that only come from God, the Lord is obligated to destroy those things because he cannot let you find fulfillment from something other than himself. He is a jealous God because at the end of the day, he knows that what he has for you is way better than anybody else can have for you. I remember the first time I really understood what jealousy is. I don't know if I've told this story before, but it was Christmas and Madeline was about, I don't know, young, five, six years old, something like that. And it was a Christmas play, and she was walking out with some little kid, and they were holding hands. Holding hands. And, and uh, I don't know why, but that just burnt me up. I thought, this dumb little kid, he, he can't even do nothing for her. You know what I mean? What, what? He ain't got no job. I don't even know if you got Social Security yet, you know? But I know one thing, I was, I was legitimately jealous. That was my daughter. You, you cannot do for her what daddy can do for her. I guarantee that. And I remember sitting there thinking, why in the world am I so jealous over a, a small child? And it's because I knew that I could give her more than that boy could ever give her. He wasn't intimidating me. He wasn't a problem to me. I just knew that what I wanted for her was way more than what he could ever ask for. And I want you to know is that when it comes to our relationship, the Lord looks at your relationship and says, what I have for them is more than they could ever find in any relationship. And I want them to want me when it comes to the relationship. 
I want them to I want I want to overflow in their relationship and meet the needs of the person in that relationship because that's the God that I am. So what do we learn today? We've learned this that regardless of how thirsty you get, bitter water makes it worse. Wait for the cool, refreshing springs that God has in store for you. And the second thing is to be careful who you allow to join you on your journey to marriage. How, how you, uh, however you find yourself walking with or whoever you find yourself walking with is who you'll find yourself worshiping with, even if it isn't God. And don't expect a relationship to give you what only God was meant to give you. Whatever we idolize, we paralyze. Father, if I'm honest, Lord, it's, it's difficult to respond to these words. Because, oh Lord, we've all made mistakes. I know, Father, there are many people in this sanctuary this morning. In our marriages, God, if we were open and honest, God, we've made mistakes. We've made mistakes before these marriages. Relationships is something sensitive to us because I think it gives us the, the, the best view of ourselves and how we really lack in a lot of ways. Relationships show our greatest failures in life or magnify our greatest failures. So Lord, to respond to your word is not an easy thing. But Father, I do know what your desire and your heart is for these people. Pray, God, that in a moment when we open altars, Lord, that you'll begin to work with people, God, who need guidance, who need to be led by the Spirit, who need wisdom to make judgments and decisions. And so I ask that you would do that today. Work their hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. This morning, I want to ask, as the body, if you would stand with me, please. I want to ask this morning, is how can I pray for you? I think there's three significant things, single person in here, that I, I, I want to pray with you about. Because maybe, maybe you've made some mistakes on the journey already. Or maybe you say, Pastor Scott, I don't want to make those mistakes. And so I need guidance. I need guidance to not make those mistakes. And if that's you, in just a second, I'm going to open the altars. I want you to come down, and I'm going to pray, God, give them guidance to not either make more mistakes or to not make any mistakes at all. Guidance is essential. Or maybe you want to ask God to help you identify the rabble. It's not easy to identify a rabble. We love people in our lives close and don't realize they're rabble. But you need wisdom and discernment to identify the rabble. And the third thing is simply this. You want God to make clear his purpose in your life. You want God to make clear his path in your life. You want him leading you because you sure don't want yourself to be led by yourself. And so this morning, if, if I can pray with any one of those things, if you say, Pastor Scott, I need wisdom, I need discernment, I need guidance, I need the Holy Spirit to lead me, would you raise your hand this morning? Show me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Do me a favor. We're going to have just a church-wide altar call. Keep your hand up. If you see someone next to you, go ahead and reach your hand out. Put your hand on them and pray. We believe in laying on the hands here at this church. I want you to pray with me as you pray for the person next to you as they got their hand raised. Father in heaven, 
Lord, these are your children, God, that have raised their hand. Father, we need guidance. We need wisdom. We need discernment, God, to be able to walk these roads, God, these journeys, Father, in the wilderness. And I pray, God, as they have lifted up their hand, God, they say that we need you. I pray, Father, you would respond to them with the very need that they have. Lord, I pray, give them the wisdom. God, give them the guidance, Lord. God, give them, God, the discernment, Lord, to show them the rabble in their life and how to respond to that. Lord, give them the discernment, God, on, on who to have in their life and the path and the purpose. God, clarify those things for them, God. And if they've made mistakes along the way, God, help them, Lord, to not make it anymore. But, Father, if they're nervous about this whole relationship aspect, God, I pray, give them the ability to have confidence and trusting you and leaning in you. God, knowing, God, that you will provide. You will provide. You never, you never not once provided in the wilderness. You didn't provide then, Lord. You failed to provide then, Lord. And I, I doubt you'll fail to provide now. And so I pray, God, right now, would you see their hearts, see their needs, and meet it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, how many of y'all are thankful that you're married, you went through the, the, the wilderness already? Yeah? I'm so glad I'm in this marriage series right now. I'm so, I'm, are y'all getting anything out of this so far? Yes? Hey, can I just real fast just say, can we just like give a big round of applause to our youth pastors and their team for just killing it this weekend for spring retreat? Yeah? Thank you so much. Thank y'all. We love y'all. You're just...